0: horror movie podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies we have a bi-weekly show that's released every other friday and this is episode 117 on horror movie podcast you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy rent or avoid these movies and i am your host jay of the dead podcasting from salt lake city and my co-hosts tonight are
1: dave dr shock becker from just outside philadelphia pa
2: and wolfman josh well but one long hot miserable day every inch of the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Boy, you can say that again. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we we have a uh, a few serious things to discuss before talking about why today sucks so much, but um we'll get to that cuz yeah, today is May 10th, 2017. We'll come back around. But first, it's very important to us. We want to make a clarification just to make sure there's no confusion whatsoever. You may have noticed in your horror movie podcast feed on iTunes or at our website HorrorMoviePodcast.com that we released that special features episode which was kind of a blend of uh, hosts and a blend of genres. It wasn't strictly horror and that was just to promote the Movie Podcast Network. But to be clear, we are still Horror Movie Podcast. We are still going to be discussing horror movies. We're still dead serious about horror and um, this will remain a free show. Horror Movie Podcast just happens to be part of the Movie Podcast Network, which has several different shows. And what we've done is we've put together this uh, special feed that is a subscription feed. It's a way to support those who work hard to bring you these shows. And so if you're interested in hearing about all sorts of awesome movie information and reviews and stuff, including horror episodes, that's what Movie Podcast Network is about. But guys... Was I clear enough that Horror Movie Podcast is still going to be a bi weekly show where every other Friday you either get like themed discussions about horror concepts and we talk about movies there too, horror movies, or you get the Frankensteinian episodes which put together just all sorts of whatever horror stuff we want to cover. Right?
2: That's right. Yep. Couldn't have said it better myself.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It felt long-winded and uh, a long way to the well, but I hope that it's crystal clear to everybody because I I would hate, hate for listeners to be like, oh, okay, these guys aren't going to cover horror anymore. Um, I'm out of here. I don't want anybody to leave because of that because, like I said, we're still dead serious. All right. Yep. So that was the first thing. The next thing is um, we have in the past, we've talked about um, the, the first instance of that ridiculous moment in a horror film where a cat will screech or jump out of the cupboard and it's like a jump scare, right? And we were trying, right. we, we've talked before kind of playfully where we were trying to track down in film history, okay, what, what's probably the first example of that? And I think somebody said Alien 1979, which is really good. And Dave, I don't know if you've ever said this, but I happen to be watching um an old classic from nineteen forty four This is actually a Halloween movie. It takes place on Halloween. I wouldn't oh. necessarily call it a horror flick um you could call it a um a dark comedy i mean it has it has very 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 mild old fashioned like horror references and things like that. But you all know it. It's called *Arsenic and Old Lace* from 1944.
2: Oh yeah, oh. yeah. Halloween classic, it's a great movie. Yep,
0: absolutely. It's, awesome. it's a great one to watch with your kids. I even watched it. We ended up watching it with our little six-year-old daughter, and she's pretty, you know, sensitive. And um, it really, it didn't even bother her. But she thought it was fun. So it's a Frank Capra film starring Cary Grant. But what I wanted to tell the the horror listeners, that's really neat is there's a scene that happens in this film from 1944 when it's kind of dark and and we're in suspense. It's supposed to be a suspense-generating scene. And even though we don't see the cat, somebody steps on a cat or kicks a cat and it screeches and, you know, it gets loud for a moment. And I think huh. that may be, maybe... The first instance, at least that I know of, of that That whole ridiculous cat jump scare.
1: (laughs) I hadn't even, I didn't even, I don't even remember that moment from that movie, but I'm, that's, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And how, and how interesting would it be for, for people to know that that jump scare was not created by Ridley Scott, but by Frank (laughs) Capra.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, Dave, I immediately thought of you as we were watching this film and I'm like, Oh, I got it. I got to tell Dave.
1: Well, th- But that's done right because they stepped on it. I mean, if you step on a cat, it's going to screech.
0: Yeah. I Not mean,
1: just usually if it's running by
0: you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, but it is dark. And so one assumes that that's what happened. They stepped on it or kicked it. But mm-hmm. just saying, it comes out of nowhere as this cat jump scare usually does. And so I just thought that was interesting and kind of hilarious. But no, if you need... Um, yeah. If you need a little gateway like kids movie for Halloween, it's set right on Halloween and there are a number of corpses. And there's uh, definitely um, some Boris Karloff references and stuff. It's pretty there fun. There
1: are. The, the, uh, the ironic part of that is that it, 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 Boris Karloff played that role on Broadway and that was what made it real funny <laughs> in the stage production.
0: <laughs> exactly. They say,
1: you look like Boris Karloff. Yes.
0: Yes yes and that's hilarious and and you know to their credit i do think even though the actor who plays in the film is not boris karloff i think they do a, a pretty good job at oh, yeah. making a resemblance there so
1: absolutely and plus it's got peter lorre in there
0: oh was that was my next thing i was gonna say and who doesn't mm. love peter lorre incredible right incredible actor so i i do recommend that it's uh boy it grates on my nerves a little bit cuz they sure do play for the back row and it's st- it still feels like a stage production but it's set on halloween so well you know right. what what do you want okay so as <laughs> as we said today is may 10th 2017 and we had some hugely sad news i've i've seriously been uh, genuinely bummed out about this all day because uh, we lost one of my favorite character actors and that was michael parks which one of you told me that today which one of you ruined my day? Uh, th-
1: I, I had told had me. Seen yeah. it. Yeah, when I so when we were going back and forth just with uh, you know the recording for tonight, I happened to see on Twitter somebody had um, sent it to me, and I was like, oh geez, you know, um, and that I, I, I said it to you like moments after I had uh,
0: gotten the news myself. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Now did did you guys? I we haven't had a whole lot of time to do any research or anything, but did you? Did you end up finding out what happened to him? I mean, I know he was like 77 years old, but...
1: I didn't. I I don't know for sure at this point. I didn't really look that much further into it just for preparing, Mm -hmm. you know, for the recording and whatnot. But no, I didn't look into it any further. It's it's just very sad, very sad, especially when you see what he has been doing recently.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and let's just for a moment since we're celebrating him. I mean, I know that people out there... If you aren't exactly familiar with him, as soon as you hear his name, you'll you'll totally know him when you look up his picture. I mean, he was in he was in Tusk, right? More recently, he was in that. Yep, he was mm-hmm. in yeah. Red State, which we um, are what we are. You know, yes,
1: we are that role in that movie.
0: That's right. Um, my favorite, my favorite role of his, and I'm sorry if we're kind of going out of order and jumping around, but I, I just love him in From Dusk Till Dawn. Um, i it's just it's my absolute favorite but play,
1: play in that same character that he played in grindhouse and the yes. Kill Bill movies, yeah McGraw,
2: yeah,
0: that's right and and twin Peaks as well, right you know? oh, right
1: right, yeah, mm-hmm.
2: michael Parks is one of those great character actors who he had a huge career in the sixties and seventies and then kind of just i mean he really did work, he never stopped working, he worked all through the eighties and nineties as well, but he's one of those guys who has that um and credits quentin tarantino with revitalizing his career of course tarantino wrote from dust till dawn but i think that was really the film that put him on back on everyone's radar he'd mm-hmm. been gone for a while um yeah and kill bill he plays two different roles in the two different ver- in the two different uh chapters of of kill bill and so i mean yeah he was he was definitely someone that Rodriguez. And Tarantino and then later Kevin Smith just tried to put in everything that they made. So, I mean, he's (laughs) an awesome actor. And, um, yeah, I I saw him at the Sundance premiere of Red State. That was an awesome event. And we were standing there right next to the sidewalk when he got out of the car. And I... I just thought, man, he looked he's such a cool guy. He looked sick then, and I wonder if he's been sick. I feel like I remember hearing that as I'm looking here on the Internet. At this time, the reason for his death has not been disclosed, but Mm. I feel as though I've heard that he'd been kind of sick for years. Um, So I don't know. I hope I'm not making that up right now, but I I feel like that's what I remember hearing.
0: Yeah. Well, well. Well, honestly, if that's the case, and heaven forbid, I hope it wasn't. I hope he hadn't you know, many happy years. But if, if he were sickly, it honestly, I think it, it it lent itself to his performance. I mean, he, there was something about his, I don't even know how to describe it, actually. I'm kind of at a loss for words, but, but he, he did seem like a person who kind of had struggles. You know what I mean? But, but not in a bad way, but just, just a, a guy who wrestles with things. and. And I, I think that came through in his character, too. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I loved him to pieces. And when I heard that today, I was truly, truly bummed. Yeah. So. Yeah, very sad. Guys, seriously, I know that people don't love the From Dusk Till Dawn, all of the movies. But at one point, we should go through all those just for fun to talk about them. Because at least, yeah. at the very least, to see, you know, to revisit the first one again. Because it's, it's one of my all-time favorites. I would agree. Anyways, so this week on a horror movie podcast, just so people know, I'm actually um, right now podcasting and I'm quite ill. I know that sounds super lame, but I'm feeling like I'm dying. Um, I don't think that's the case, but basically I'm going to uh, head out here momentarily and I know that Dr. Shock and Wolfman Josh have a fun Frankensteinian episode playing for you.
2: Right at this point in the show, Jay of the Dead is taking a little bit of a break uh, for his recuperation, and Dave and I are going to bring you some feature reviews of what we've been watching lately, and then Jay should be back later on in the show for a feature review of his own. Dave, I'm going to go first. This one, now, I don't know if Jay's is a mermaid movie. It's called The Siren. Mine is Hmm. called The Lure, and it is a mermaid movie. And I remember a few oh, years okay. ago, Jay did a mermaid movie that he was really excited about.
1: I remember that. I can't remember what it's called, but yes, I remember him talking about some um, horror mermaid movie. It
2: was. Uh, it, I think it was actually called Killer Mermaid. Let me let me see. Oh okay. yeah, I
1: think it. I think it was. Some, yeah, it was something very basic like that, almost like a Sci Fi Channel. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. It is uh, Nymph, aka Killer Mermaid, was okay. the name of that one. But he he quite enjoyed that as – as I remember um, yeah I, I was wondering as I was thinking about this if if siren is in fact another killer mermaid movie I thought maybe this is a missed opportunity maybe we should have just done a uh, killer fan- mermaid
1: theme show Yeah,
2: fantasy creature the <laughs> horror movies you know I don't I'm curious if our audience will be interested in that for me that the as a theme it's kind of borderline I don't know if I am that interested in it.
1: Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, because we kind of did a, a Bigfoot one already.
2: We did that. But this is, I think this is a little, maybe it's not different. I,
1: mean, I guess they are a lot. You no, know, it could be. It could be a little because, you know, I think, uh, you know, I know Um, Troma, well, Troma put out, they didn't produce, but a movie called Legend of the Chupacabra. There you go. Back in 2000, that would probably uh, fit into that category. Troll
2: Hunter would be fun. Yes. Thale is one I've wanted to talk about on the show. Fail's
1: Thales, um, a, Thale's a decent one. Yeah, I saw that a while ago. That's a good one.
2: Yeah, and the one, yeah, Jay reviewed this one all the way back on episode 26. It wow. was Killer Mermaid, and he gave that one a 6.5 and called it a must-see rental. So I don't know. We'll see. If you're a fantasy fan in the audience, let us know if you'd be interested in a fantasy horror crossover. I, I'm borderline myself, like as yeah. I said. Well, you know, we
1: we haven't done Troll Hunter, and that would be a good opportunity to, to at least talk That's about true. Troll Hunter. It might be more fantasy, but it definitely warrants some attention because it, it is part horror too.
2: So I agree. Well, this one is also part horror. It's not clearly horror. It's a strange okay. one. It's a. Uh, it was originally released in Poland in 2015 uh, under the title "Korki Dancingu." I'm sorry to all of our Polish listeners. <laughs> Was nie zj- The lure. This is a Janus Films production, and so it's just been released in the U.S. as a 2017 film by the Criterion and Janus. It caught my attention. A few of our listeners had watched it, and when I saw the Criterion label on it, I thought maybe I'll give this a shot and see what it's all about. It's very oh, yeah. strange. It's very surreal and kind of dreamlike for a lot of it. Uh, it has. It's funny. Like I realized having now stopped podcasting over movie podcast weekly and kind of becoming so focused on horror as we are. I've lost Uh a lot of my film vocabulary and a lot of my references that I used to just be able to like pull out of nowhere. Like it's, I was, I I was watching this. I thought I should be able to tell you exactly what this is like, but I just can't call it up. Like I can't get the right reference, you know, right. It has a bit of like an early Paul Thomas Anderson, like the the kind of look and feel of almost like a Boogie Nights heartache oh. Magnolia thing on one level, but it's also got a little bit of this Michel Gondry later stuff, cool. like a science of sleep kind of weird, <laughs> out of place, almost even more like a Michel Gondry music video, like it, like a Bjork or White Stripes kind of music video. Wow! And, and this is a music video essentially. This is a musical yeah, it's not the type of musical where the story goes along and then they break out into song in a natural way. It's it really is shot like a series of music videos, although you know, they, they continue to get us through the narrative. The songs aren't explicitly like a Disney movie laying out each of the, the ideas, clearly. right, you know. okay. Um, the the characters in the movie are in a band. And there's another band in it as well. And so some of these songs are, in fact, probably a third of the songs are performed on stage for audiences. Uh, but it is one of those films where the song ends, you know, you maybe get a few lines of dialogue and then the next song begins, like immediately. Um, gotcha. The films that it kind of reminded me of in that way were, were like Eight Women, if you remember that kind of like French <clears throat> I do mystery. remember Eight Women, yeah. yeah. Has has a little bit of that kind of a feel to it, I would uh-huh. say. So eight women on the musical side of things, then meeting up with something like horns for the fantasy fable side of it. The combination of those two is probably the best comparison I can give. Anyway, nice. kind of a hard tone to nail down for me, lacking my, my, uh, film, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and apparently English vocabulary. Um, but it's an interesting film. So it starts out with two young women, in the sea and they walk out of the sea and into kind of like eighties Poland where they are in this like band with a husband, wife and son. And they're kind of like this post-punk new wave band. And they play in a little Polish club. That's kind of like almost like a variety show as well. It's got like, you know, new dancing and kind of like freak show acts kind of things like it's it's just this little variety show. And so when it turns out that they are mermaids, this just adds to the charm of of the club. And it's, gotcha. it's very effortlessly kind of like woven into this band's act oh, <laughs> wow. that they've got two <laughs> mermaids in the band. Uh, and (laughs) it's weird. It's a weird movie. It is so dreamlike, as I mentioned, and just so different than what a lot of film goers would be used to if you don't watch art house cinema, but particularly for horror fans, it's not a, it's not a typical horror film. It is a horror film. I will say there's body horror. There is some gross, you know, these are killer mermaids and I've always liked mermaids since I was a little kid. I think because of splash that, that really caught my imagination as a young man but also just that idea of like the Peter Pan mermaids or like you know these mermaids coming to save you or you know transversely the siren who's coming to eat you those are it's always been an interesting idea to me i like even though not executed well like the idea of those evil mermaids in the pirates of the caribbean movies is such a cool idea to uh-huh. me um but i was i was turned off by the idea of mermaid horror. Like when Jay reviewed that movie, I didn't immediately say like, I've got to go see killer mermaids. Like that just didn't <laughs> sound that interesting to me. This is presented in a way that I thought made it very alluring, but also it's really telling kind of a classic mermaid tale. I would guess like, I'm not like highly versed in mermaid tales, but just <laughs> the few that I've seen and like the little mermaid or whatever, right, the, right. these, the, this mermaid has to, you know, falls in love with a, with a man and, and then she has to decide if she's going to, in this case, eat him or go ahead and fall in love with him. But, you know, there are challenges that come with falling in love with a human. If you give up being a mermaid, you lose your voice. If you fall in love with him and he doesn't fall in love with you, you, you might transform into sea foam. And so there are a lot of dangers for the mermaids themselves who are a bit like a vampire who has, kind of has to kill to satiate the hunger now and again. And so they, um, you know, walk on land, but can easily, like very much like Splash, whenever they're in the water, they get their tails back. Right. This is a very sexy film in a very kind of weird, you know, cross-species kind of way. <laughs> 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 but uh, it's interesting. It's not like anything I've ever seen before. I don't know oh. that the average horror fan will necessarily appreciate it because it is not a straightforward film. Narratively, it is all over the place. It feels very sloppy to me. I felt like just with some editing, they could have really made this more palatable, but I'm not sure that they were interested in making it much more palatable. Right. Um, but but I quite I quite enjoyed myself while watching this, and I think huh. someone like you would appreciate this, Dave. I think
1: it
2: would <laughs> yeah. it, be uh, worth, it, it, worth checking out.
1: I'm definitely, I'm definitely intrigued, and you said it's available on Criterion.
2: That's correct, yeah. If you're a cinephile like Dave Becker who, you know, appreciates all kinds of cinematic oddities, this is certainly a cinematic oddity. Nice. Um, and we we talked about Fail. This is not yeah. totally different in well, okay, it is. Because this movie again has like the, uh, some kind of happiness of the catacurs stuff going on, but <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? But but it's right. but it also looks very much like a Fail and it has kind of that weird feel of this other beast, human, woman, thing going on. So, I don't know. I don't know if that made any sense. That review—it's got me interested to see it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, so the lure—I would probably give a seven point five, and I would call it a rental for people who enjoy art house cinema. I think if you, if you're not an art house cinema fan, if weirdness bothers you, you're not going to like this. And if certainly if you're not interested in. Any kind of fantasy elements in your horror, this is an avoid. But I think for the cinephile who who wants to see different things in in their movies, I think this is one to watch. All right, sounds good. Awesome.
1: All right. Well, the one I got here it's called Lady Frankenstein.
2: What evil science was practiced in this laboratory of nightmares? Who is this irresistible creature who has an insatiable love for the dead? Meet Lady Frankenstein.
0: She's beautiful. She's evil. And she'll do anything for love. She creates a new, more
2: terrifying monster.
0: I am my father's daughter.
2: Only the monster she creates can satisfy her strange desires.
1: Now, this is a movie that was released on one of the uh, the Shout Factory Roger Corman sets. Okay. A while ago, they were putting out all of Corman's films. And this is one that Corman put a little money into, but it is an Italian movie. It's from 1971, uh, and it's called Lady Frankenstein. Rob Zombie actually sampled a line from this for one of his songs. I think the song Living Dead Girl. Oh. He sampled a line from this film for that. Um. Anyway, the, the 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 basic setup is um, Tanya Frankenstein, uh, the the daughter of the Baron is is what he's uh, known as here, goes away, she gets medical training, and she comes back to the the ancestral home. You know, she wants to she wants to help her father in his experiment, uh, and they have this. Um, you know, the the Baron, okay, and the, uh, Tanya Frankenstein is played by um, Rosalba Neri. And the father, the Baron, is played by Joseph Cotton, you know, the Hollywood's Um, Mm -hmm. old time Hollywood who made pretty much nothing but sort of Euro sleaze and exploitation and and whatnot uh, later in his career. Uh, But, um, you know, and they they have this um, assistant um, and his longtime friend of the Baron Charles. And he's he's lame in one leg. Uh, but the Baron, of course, is going to show the world that under the right circumstances he can reanimate dead tissue, as all Frankenstein seem to want to do.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so he he gets cadavers that he purchased from these guys. They're these professional grave robbers. He buys the bodies from them, and he does build this man out of spare parts, and he brings him to life with with lightning and 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 the whole nine yards. Uh, but. Pretty much within five minutes of the monster standing up, he sh- chokes the life out of the Baron, uh, kills him, and then runs into the nearby forest or shuffle, you know, whatever. Doesn't run, but he b- moves off into the nearby woods before anybody realizes what has happened. Uh, so Tanya comes down. She realize, you know, she's like, oh, she's very upset the death of her father. Um, but she's even more anxious to prove that what he did worked. Um, now, the monster that, that the Baron brought to life is pretty grotesque. It has an eye hanging out. It doesn't really look that good, and this monster is now going out into the countryside and taking out villagers left and right, whoever he comes across. Um, but Nadia, she wants to prove that this worked. She's more interested in proving that her father's experiment, that he did it, but you know, she's gonna basically learn from his mistakes and she's going to take this um, instead of assembling a body, she's just going to lure this uh, guy in. he's he's a he's a backward farm boy. His name is Thomas, very good looking, lives in the, in the you know, in the village and use the brain of the assistant Charles. Charles will now have a younger body to live in, and she'll be able to prove that, yes, we can, you know, by, by using electricity, we can reanimate things that had died, you know, uh, and, and bring uh, uh, something to life here. Um, but while she's doing that, um, the, uh, you know, the, obviously, like I said, the monster's sort of wreaking havoc across the countryside. So they, um, they're visited several times by Constable Harris, played by uh, Mickey Hargitay, of all people. And... Um, He's investigating what's going on, and he's not real sure what the Frankensteins are up to. Uh, so he's keeping a good, a close eye on Tanya. And um, really, it just comes down to um, what will happen when Tanya, if Tanya gets to perform her experiment, what's going to happen. Uh, now, this is, from what it sounds, this is an, it's an Italian film. Rosalba has been, the only other movies I'd seen her in were Jess Franco's 99 Women, you know, a women in prison flick, and uh, Fernando Delio's Slaughter Hotel, which mm. is a jello. Um So, and she always was a supporting player. Now, I think she did a good job. I think she did a fairly good job as Nadia. Um, and then you have, well, Mickey Hargitay, I mentioned him earlier. Uh, he was... And Bloody Pit of Horror. I think that's what I always think of when I think of Mickey Hargate. Yes, mm-hmm. he was married to Jane He was married to Jay Mansfield, too, obviously. Um, but I think of Bloody Pit of Horror. He was in some other things, too. Uh, Joseph Cotton. So you get this cast, and you think this is going to be like uh, exploitation, euro, trash type of film. You know, with a lot of nudity, a lot of gore and, and whatnot. And you do get a little bit of both of those. But really what I thought was interesting about this movie was it reminded me more of the classic Hammer films from the, from the late 50s and early 60s. Mm. It had that look with the set pieces, that, that the lab that they, that they use. Um, there are st- there's, there's equipment in there that, that looks like you could have taken it from the old Universal films, to be honest with you. The Castle is kind of eerie, and you get to see that, you know the 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 ancestral Frankenstein castle. And also they went out and used locations, used some actual locations for this, did some exterior shots. And all of it together, actually it made it look. It gave it a look that I didn't usually I don't usually see in a lot of those European films. You know, if I think of like movies of of Jess Franco and Jean Roland and all those guys. I don't usually see a look like I saw in this movie. They definitely spent time on the sets. They spent time on... Um, well, one thing they didn't spend time on was the makeup. I said how the monster didn't look... Um, you know, he had his eye hanging out. Well, it's not very convincing. Mm. I mean, you know, it's, it's not like it's just dangling there. I mean, right. they had, it's like this this putty thing. The makeup effects, <laughs> they didn't spend a lot of time on those, okay? But... Um, but they really did try to give this thing a gothic look. I think that's what impressed me more than, more than anything uh, about this film. And like I said, there is some, there's some nudity in it. There's some gore, some violence. Um, nothing, But nothing like you would expect from the really strong Italian films from this time period. Right. You know, it, it's, not, it's not at that level. Uh, so I'm, I think I'm going to give this a, the same as the uh, Raina you just gave. I think I'd give it a 7.5, and I would call it a rental. Uh, this is on a four disc. It was on. A, it was along with four movies, and I'm trying to look it up now and and see what four films this was on that the Shout Factory put out. You know, for a while there, they had done like uh, single DVDs of. Uh, and Blu-rays of a lot of Corman's, like the big films, like um, was it Rock and Roll High School and Death Race Two Thousand and those type of movies, where you got and and they, where they had put them out on Blu-ray. But they also released just a whole bunch where you got four movies in one. Uh, I know he had one like um, Women Gladiators, I think, with the arena and films like that. Let me, I'm just trying to look this up here and see what other movies it's it's with. Because I I know I am pretty sure I covered. Let me see here. Okay, it's on the it's on Roger Corman Co Classic Vampires Mummies and Monsters collection, and the movies are The Velvet Vampire, which I had seen, Time Walker and Grotesque. So you get the, those okay. four films on with that. Uh, and to be honest with you, it's not a bad price for four movies. It's seventeen eighty nine right now on Amazon. Um, you know, here in the U.S., but and I'd seen um, the Velvet Vampire, and it's not bad. I, you know, that one is more like a like a a Eurotrash type of film. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm not re- necessarily recommending a buy on this. I would I would call it a rental, and I think Josh, you said this is out on YouTube.
2: I did see it on YouTube. Yeah, I was gonna watch it, but I didn't get around to it.
1: Right. Okay, but it is available on YouTube. So if you want to check it out, but I'd give it a seven point
2: five. Yeah cool and i should say the lure is available uh, on amazon for anyone who wanted to watch that for like a 4.99 digital rental nice okay. okay jay of the dead will be back here on the show with a final feature review in a few minutes but first i wanted to give you guys a little screaming online segment Today I'm going to talk about Stakeland 2, The Stakelander*, which is a movie I've been dying to see for quite a while, as I understand it was made for sci-fi television. It is now available on Netflix and also for a $3.99 digital rental on Amazon and other places. This is written by Nick Demisi, who is the star and writer of the first film, but uh, it was not directed by Jim Mickle. It was directed instead by Dan Burke and Robert Olson who are the guys who directed a film called Body, which has got just a lot of great word of mouth. It's been on my list. I haven't gotten around to it yet, but I know a lot of our listeners appreciated Body. It's certainly got a cool poster, kind of a Saul Bass-looking poster. Land 2, I had heard bad things about, so I was a little bit wary going into it, and I have to say I was pleasantly surprised. I really enjoyed it in a lot of ways, just as much as the original. The original had more things I disliked in it. I would say it also had more things I liked in it, I think uh-huh. this was a little bit middle of the road. You know, when Stakeland was first conceived as I understand it was as a web series and they were going to right. do several episodes. And uh-huh. so you can see this working as just an, you know, an hour long. I mean, you know, this is an hour and 21 minutes, but you can imagine breaking this up into two episodes of television and it would be okay. good TV. I mean, this is good Ooh. storytelling, it's beautifully shot. I love the cinematography. It's got these awesome uh, kind of pastoral landscape shots that are just gorgeous it pulls off the post-apocalyptic stuff very well and i think there yeah. is a little bit of a post-apocalyptic burnout right now from stuff like the walking dead personally that's still one of my favorite locations to set a film so uh-huh. i i don't mind a good post-apocalyptic film and i love doing that on an indie budget because it's something you can really pull off you know if you kind of get out into the country or get in a nice abandoned building and they can they can make it work with a small cast and these guys do and i right. Uh, you know, the original cast is back from the first film. Uh, Mr. and Martin are, are in the movie. They're excellent. I would say they're both as good as they are in the first film. And I would say the younger, you know, younger guy, Martin, is a lot better. You know, he's matured as oh. an actor since then. Nice. Uh, the, the journey that go on, you know, is a little bit frustrating. As a fan of the first film, I don't like sequels that immediately undo the resolution of the previous film oh right yeah I, I think this movie within you know five minutes undoes everything that kind of is built toward in the first movie and wow. I think they could have waited 20 minutes to do that and and it would have been a lot better to be honest having said that they do it really well it's very emotionally moving and compelling and these characters you know it's fun in a sequel to kind of revisit these characters you love and they really Make you love them. They're, you're really glad to see these characters reunited on screen and kind of go through what they're going through. Um, there's less vampire action, a lot less vampire action in this movie. You know, uh-huh. I, the things I didn't love about the first movie were like all the brotherhood stuff. I really could have just completely done without. Uh-huh. And kind of the ultimate like uber vampire that they had in that in Right, that movie. right. And this doesn't have that. This has the berserkers, and it has kind of like a big baddie but it doesn't the brotherhood stuff is in there but it's not as kind of over the top in my opinion it's more believable to me and okay uh, and um and it's yeah it's it's it goes not it's not quite as i guess the stakes are high but they're not uh, it's not very ambitious story-wise or plot-wise okay But it's very enjoyable. I think if you liked the first film, this is a nice entry. I'd watch the third one. You know, it's not nice. uh, like mind blowing or a landmark film in any by any stretch of the imagination. I think the first film does succeed in a lot of ways that this one doesn't. But okay. I prefer this one in in some ways. So uh, I yeah, I still am not quite sure where the negative reviews for this film were coming from, unless it's just that they were. Uh, that they were kind of let down, that they wanted more. I could understand that if someone said, you know, I was a little underwhelmed. I would say, yeah, sure. But it's not a bad movie. So I, I'm gonna give this one an 8.5. And oh. I would buy this. If I see it, I'm gonna buy it. It is again currently streaming on Netflix, so easy to see for a screaming online recommendation. A little Netflix and kill for you. And I recommend everybody check it out if you like, especially if you liked Steakland.
0: Nice. <laughs> Okay, this is Jay the Dead here. It's uh, more or less, for all intents and purposes, (laughs) the next morning, and I was actually feeling terrible last night, and so I could not record with the guys. It felt like a giant wuss, but basically, I didn't want to be a slacker, and I had to show up to this podcast and at least bring you guys something. So right now, this is going to be pretty rough. It might be kind of a bumpy ride, but... I got a little mini review for you that I'm trying to record really fast before I head out to work today, okay? So, um, that's the first thing. So, I'm going to talk about a film called Siren from 2016 and typically at this point we would go into like a little uh, trailer, you know, to kind of tease it and give you a sense of the film, but I'm actually going to forego the trailer and not because of my time constraints as you might suspect but uh here's why. Because actually this film as you may well know is inspired or based on the segment Am- Amateur Night that short film from uh, VHS the 2012 anthology. And a lot of people loved that. It was actually my my favorite segment in that film. I just I absolutely loved it. And so Amateur Night the, the um the little short film That one was directed by David Bruckner. Now, here's the thing. If you have not seen uh, VHS from 2012 and therefore have not seen Amateur Night, the, the short film that inspired Siren, then I would highly recommend, I mean, strongly recommend, I think that you should see the short film first because, I don't know, it just... And that's weird coming from me because I'm actually not typically a short film kind of guy. But my thing is, it really packs a punch. Amateur Night is a huge surprise. Go into it totally blind. Now, I'm sure that 99% of everybody who's listening to this podcast is already completely aware of Amateur Night. They've seen it many times and you already love it and know about it. But just in case, I mean, that's why I'm here. That's why we do these shows to try to bring things to people's attention that maybe they didn't catch up with. I mean, maybe horror anthologies aren't your thing. And so maybe you're like, I'm not watching VHS. Well, I'm telling you right now, uh, the price of admission for VHS from 2012 is amateur night. Fantastic. And so I do think, you know, is it done better? It's kind of like, I mean, yes, I would say that. But also, it's more like, if you're going to have something in its most potent form, you know, then it's not going to be diluted by very many other details. It's just going to not be watered down. It's going to be the straight dope, so to speak. <laughs> I just said the straight dope. I love it. Anyways, I'm getting warmed up for work. I'm a rapper. Just kidding. I'm not a rapper. Anyways, um, so Siren is inspired by uh, this film. And as I said a m- million times. Now, the, the great part is, and I think this is kind of a saving grace is that uh, Hannah Fearman um who plays the <laughs> "quote unquote let's just let's just call her the girl let's just call her the girl in this. Uh she played the the girl in Amateur Night and she also plays the girl in Siren. And of course <clears throat> the whole Siren reference I mean if you're familiar with uh Homer's Odyssey and the Iliad and you know the, the whole thing where you have these lovely ladies who can sing sailors to their death. I mean, like the Lorelei, and sometimes they say this about mermaids. So, that's where the whole siren thing comes from. It's not siren as in police sirens or fire, fire sirens. Sorry, I love to explain titles. I just can't help myself. That's probably very annoying. But anyway, I'm just telling you. So, this siren film, it came about because the Amateur Night short film was so popular the horror fans loved it i know i did and they ended up adapting it and expanding it into a feature-length film and so here in uh december of 2016 they released siren and um, with that with that particular film let me go here to my notes i'm trying to pull everything up here <clears throat> the director is uh greg bishop now you probably uh recognize that name from, uh, Dance of the Dead, which is a tremendous horror comedy, actually. It's one of the few horror comedies that I love, and it's a great zombie flick that's from 2008, and, um, he was also one of the directors in VHS Viral, <clears throat> and so I actually like Greg Bishop quite a bit, and I think that, um, he ended up doing a, a fair job with this adaptation. Now, I think that, um in expanding the story, I mean, maybe if you're the if you're the kind of horror fan who likes kitchen sink type of stuff where you get a lot of like little extras, a little little bonuses and stuff, then I think you might enjoy this film because it's very bizarre. There are a lot of um extra little details thrown in here that you might dig at the same time, it does kind of feel like a red box type of um horror film which, People who have listened to this podcast very long know that um, I am typically <laughs> not super favorable about like the, the films released through Redbox for the most part. But anyways, um, if you're still listening to this, then obviously you're not taking my advice and going in blind or you've already seen Amateur Night. So I'm going to start. I'm not going to give spoilers for Siren, obviously, but I'm going to give you a little bit more uh, details. So I hope that you tune out if you want to stay completely unaware of what's going to happen to you if you watch Amateur Night. But anyway, this is a beastly freak uh, type of movie in my estimation, as you know. And and in fact, I would call Siren the uh, hangover or very bad things of the horror genre. If you've seen the hangover movies, uh, particularly the first one, This is much like The Hangover or Very Bad Things because in this case, what you have is uh, these four friends, two of them are brothers, the one brother is a good guy, he's getting married next week and so his uh, uh, reprobate delinquent brother who's kind of a wild man wants to take his brother who's getting hitched out for a wild time, yes, in New Jersey that's right not Las Vegas they said that Las Vegas is lame um he wants to take him to Garden City New Jersey and just go nuts okay so that's the plan um and so in this way this is very similar to the setup of uh like The Hangover I mean it's it's (laughs) it's kind of the same thing but with a horror spin on it so um not as comedic I mean there are a little bit of you know, jokes and things, but this is not, this is a pretty straight, um, serious horror film, so I just want to tell you that as well, uh, and and so I think that gives you a really good sense of this, what I've said so far, it's kind of beastly freak, it's adapted from the short film, it's the hangover and very bad things of horror, and um, and and I think that really represents it well, I mean, so they, what they end up doing is they... <coughs> They initially start out in these very lame clubs. And I will say this is, if you're familiar with Amateur then amateur Night, then you know that there's a um, sultry and seedy and kind of sleazy aspect to it. Well, this film has a, a good bit of that in it as well. So I will tell you that. And they end up at this uh, <coughs> crazy, wild, underground type of club where there are some very unnatural and unseemly things that are happening. And of course, um, this differs from Amateur Night in that, you know, the guys in Amateur Night were trying to, I mean, they were total bags who were trying to make this amateur porno film unbeknownst to their star, quote unquote. And so I actually, that's another reason why I think Amateur Night works better than this film because those guys were really asking for it. These guys are more or less, pretty good dudes, and so they're not as quite as deserving, and so that's a, a little bit, you know, a little bit less of, you know, you want wanting it to pay off for uh, these scumbags, right? But I will say, with this movie, unless I totally missed this detail in Amateur Night, which is possible, I've seen it a couple of times, but um, there is kind of a surprise, I will not spoil it for you, but there are some very... Very upsetting multitasking that's done in this film. I'm calling it multitasking, tongue-in-cheek, involving a tail. And I don't know. I mean, depending on your sensibilities, maybe it won't be upsetting at all. (laughs) Maybe it'll be your kind of thing. I'm just saying. Pretty wild stuff, and um, it sure had me squirming. So, I think, overall, if I had not seen Amateur Night, then I would be pretty pleased with this film. I mean, I, I was already pleased, but I would have actually kind of dug it quite a bit, um, along the lines of like killer mermaid or something. I mean, it, it reminds me it, it's in that same vein. I mean, I loved killer mermaid. I think everybody knows that kind of a weirdo like that, but I can't help myself. Uh, and so it's, it's a real horror oddity. It's kind of unusual. And, um, in terms of like the effects on this i understand it appears in the imdb trivia that they had some issues um with with the effects and stuff but even despite all that i think it's passable you know i don't think it's the greatest horror film ever but i do think it's a pretty good time especially if you appreciate amateur night i'm not as into all of the extra lore and the other aspects that are thrown into this um, that's just me personally, but still I think it's just, you know, pretty fun. So, um, I'm I'm going to give Siren from 2016, I'll give it a 6.5 out of 10 and I'd call it a rental, but only after you've seen Amateur Night, of course, from VHS 2012. So there you go. That's my review of Siren. Let us know in the show notes what you think about this, if you've caught up with it. And real quick, I just have, um... Um, one other note and then one other thing for you that I hope you'll enjoy. So the next time we uh, reconvene for horror movie podcast, I wanted to, I've been wanting to do this for um, a few weeks now, but I want to tell you about some incredible get well soon gifts that I've received as I've recovered from my heart surgery. And, um, I mean, just incredible stuff. And I wanted to wait till I could talk to, Wolfman Josh and Dr. Shock about it as well. And I just kind of tell you about how incredible our community is and how supportive the listeners are. I just really appreciate that. And um, it's just fantastic. So I just wanted to share like a little bit more about that next time, if you don't mind. The other thing is um, my good friend, One Sick Puppy, he is the host of the Dead as Hell horror podcast. He he is in higher education very smart man and he was taking a class and one of his projects i hope he doesn't mind me saying this this much but anyway one of his projects of course cuz he's such a passionate guy about horror he loves horror so it was he did one of his final projects on like something horror related where he had to interview a bunch of people about the first time that they were uh scared to death by a horror film and so he asked me Um, for this account and so he put all these answers together into kind of this project you know and it it was really kind of a cool thing that he did but anyways I didn't know exactly how much he wanted so I recorded like this uh, I don't know 10 or 15 minute story (laughs) something like that about my first time I was ever scared to death as a kid by a horror film and just kind of some details about that and then I went into a little bit of a horror movie podcast analysis about it. Um, nothing profound here or anything, but if you were not around back in the Horror Palace days and you didn't hear that very first Horror Palace episode where we all talked about our background in horror, if you aren't familiar with that back when I told this story before, then I thought maybe this might be fun to include because I have the recording that I made. And so I think what I'll do here... Is I'll include that recording uh, right now for you, and uh, I'll, I'll catch you back in a second. 40 years old, I am a host of a horror movie podcast by the same name, and on there I go by Jay of the Dead, but I'm here to tell you about the first time I was truly scared by a horror movie as a child. So, this would have been the early 80s, actually, and I honestly don't know how this worked out, like whether it was through VCR, HBO, or Cinemax, but my parents would always go to my aunt and uncle's house. They lived out this creek, and it was always kind of creepy out there anyway, especially at night, and they would go out there on the weekends, and often, they would watch horror movies, and this is, as I said, in the early 80s, and my aunt and uncle were one of the first people that I even knew of in our hometown to have a VCR. So they may have rented this on VHS. I'm not certain, but it was 1973 William Friedkin's The Exorcist. And this was a baptism by fire for me because honestly, I've always been a sensitive guy and I was a really sensitive child and very prone to being afraid of monsters and so forth. So what happened is I had this cousin who was infamous for wanting to see things he shouldn't see and egging me on to see things I shouldn't see. And so my parents and aunt and uncle were in the living room and they were watching The Exorcist. And my cousin, of course, was harassing me and encouraging me to watch it as well, even though I was already creeped out. And the thing is, the soundtrack, as you might already know, of course, is uh, taken from Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells. My dad was a big vinyl guy and he actually owned that album and played it all the time. So I was very familiar with the music and my dad always cranked it and that always kind of like scared me anyway because he would play it so loud. And when I would hear the soundtrack on the film, that was already creeping me out. And then my cousin and I, we were hiding in the kitchen. We were banished to the kitchen where we were supposed to be playing Cars. And honestly, I was probably, I don't know somewhere between five to eight, I'm guessing, pretty young. Too young for The Exorcist. And so what ended up happening was my cousin and I would look, you know, peek around the corner of the kitchen where we could see the TV, unbeknownst to my parents and aunt and uncle. And I did catch some eyes full of (laughs) true horror (laughs) on the screen before me. And I tell you, and I'm not kidding you, I was scarred for life. I still think that movie is scary today. And, And honestly, it It deeply affected me. Now, it is a scary horror film by any standard, but I'll tell you, I've thought about it a lot, and I think that one of the reasons why this was such a tremendous effect on me was because, you know, as a child, you're used to having your parents be your uh, safety blanket. They're your security net. Uh, They're the people who always tell you, oh, there are no such thing as monsters, or you don't have to worry about monsters. They don't exist. And meanwhile, I'm also witnessing my parents watching this movie being freaked out and scared to death. And so there was a real a real shock to my psyche because this world of there aren't any monsters and you don't have to be afraid of monsters from the people who have been preaching this to me. And yet I see them and they are afraid of a monster. And I'm seeing a monster right before my eyes on TV and it scared me to death. So... I would have to tell you that The Exorcist 1973 was the first time I was truly scared by a horror film, and I've been scared ever since. And honestly, for a number of years after that, I didn't love horror films. It took me until I was about a teenager when I started appreciating how fun it was to be scared with my peers. That's when it started turning around for me, and I really started to love them. But uh, The Exorcist, William Friedkin, uh, did a number on me. Okay, Jay of the Dead back here again. That's um, really getting close to the time I got to go to work. So I'm just going to, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, Let us know in the show notes. That'd be pretty interesting to hear about what was the first horror movie that scared you to death. I'd be, I'd love to get that feedback and hear what you all have to say about it. That'd be pretty cool. And uh, before I run, I just want to say, check me out on my uh, sister show over there at Movie Podcast Weekly. Very silly stuff. But we cover all genres of new movies that are in theaters. So if you like going to the theater to see new movies, we cover uh, most things that come out, I would say. And so check us out at MoviePodcastWeekly.com and that is part of the Movie Podcast Network. I'd recommend all the shows there, in fact, and you can learn more about that at moviepodcast.network. And at this point, I just want to thank you all for letting me slip in here again for just a few minutes with you all. And I'm going to kick it back over to uh, Wolfman Josh and Dr. Shock to take the show home and to wrap it up.
1: All right. Yeah, it's uh, same as always, DVDInfatuation.com, where I'm reviewing 2,500 movies. Uh, Come on over to uh, Twitter, and I'm at DVDInfatuation. I have a Facebook page as well, and I also co-host... The uh, Land of the Creeps podcast with uh, Greg Amortis and uh, Jesse Robbins and uh, Double H. and of course the Universal Monster Cast uh, with uh, with Mr. Josh and uh, Joel Robinson.
2: Yeah, and we are finally releasing another episode of Universal Monsters Cast for those who have been waiting for it. It's uh, it's not a planned release schedule for that podcast and. Episode 3 has been a long time in the making, but it's it's finally ready, and I'm, I'm excited for people to hear it. It's really cool, and we're probably going to be able to fit one more in before the release of The Mummy, so um, nice. we'll have to see. It's about, we've got about a month until that movie comes out at this point, so looking forward All to right.
1: that. I'm looking forward to seeing The Mummy, but it's almost more for just what are they going to do with the universe as opposed yeah. to the movie itself, Exactly, you
2: know? yeah, I'm more watching this for the larger, bigger picture at
1: this point, so... Right. Right. Cuz nothing I've seen of the trailer has has me has me buying the, the you know the Tom Cruise Russell Crowe that oh this is going to be scary. <laughs> you know, I'm just not buying it. But I do want to see how they
2: sort of uh, lay the foundation for for everything else. Well, we have some industry professionals with a lot of thoughts on that. On episode 3 of Universal Monsters Cast will be dropping yeah. very soon. You can also find me at moviestreamcast.com and on all social media at Icarus Arts on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. So hook up with us and also make sure, as we said at the top of the show, Movie Podcast Network does not replace more Movie Podcast. This show will continue to be free, but we are doing some HMP bonus content for the MPN feed that I'm very excited about. We did a really cool show. We've already recorded.
1: Yeah, that was fun.
2: Joel Robertson and, and William solo jr. From the sci-fi podcast should be cool. So if you want that bonus content, again, HMP is always free right here. But if you want to get that bonus content, um, there's some good stuff. You can become a patron movie Network. And speaking of free episodes, you can find all of our horror movie podcast episodes as well as the previous podcasts we've done, the Weekly Horror Movie Podcast and Horror Metropolis, at our site at horrormoviepodcast.com. You can subscribe for free in iTunes. Please leave us a review. Five-star reviews are welcome. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorMovieCast. We want to thank Frederick Ingram for the use of his music. For the Horror Movie Podcast theme song, you can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We'd also like to thank Kagan Breitenbach for his classical reworking of Fred's original theme. You can find more of Kagan's work at KaganBreitenbach.com. Kagan also composed and produced the Screaming Online music for this episode. We'll have links to both of those guys in the show notes, so make sure you go to the website and get involved in the conversation. That's it for episode 117. Thank you again for listening, and join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.